0: Blog
1: Talk Radio. Aloha. Welcome to Talking Pictures. I'm your host, Paul Booth. Always a pleasure to be here. Always a joy when we have the filmmaker. It's always fun to do reviews, but when we get to have the director on, that's our real pleasure, because we get to learn from a filmmaker, hear their point of view, and kind of delve deeper. And what's really great today is that it's, it's not a film that we're re- reviewing from a festival where you have to wait for it to come to your town Um, this is on video on demand iTunes Uh, the director is going to let us know some cities that it's been playing theatrically Um, so with that we will I will now uh, bring on the director uh, Lee are you are you You're with us
0: yes I am hello
1: Excellent. All of our team appreciate you being here today. Um after we always send us a thank you to our friend Jonah. After Jonah sent this film to me, uh I started to hear Absolutely. so much buzz through yeah, through Facebook <laughs> and and just fellow uh film fatals, Um and it was kinda like, wow, I'm hearing these people talk about this film and it's like in my it's here in our studio, so it was a great joy. Before we get into this discussion with the director, I really suggest that you guys check this out. It's also on video on demand on Canada in Canada. So, to all my film school buddies that I tagged you guys on Facebook, you know, definitely check this out. You know that I say I love all films, but this actually is a film that means I really like it. It's not just the way I babble about <laughs> films. Uh, oh, that's very so so- sweet.
0: That's very easy yeah.
1: say <laughs> oh yeah,' because we all know right? We're, our favorite movie changes every week when we're film buffs or filmmakers, so uh with that, um, Lee, if you could uh tell us i mean um, so what what the uh the synopsis you know sometimes I read it, and sometimes sure. I ask the filmmaker to say what they would like to say that the synopsis is.
0: Yeah, of course. So the film is called There's a New World Somewhere, and okay. it really follows this, Yeah, it, it, it follows the story of a young woman who lives in New York City who comes back to her best friend's wedding in Austin. Now, when she's in Austin, she sort of sees that every, every one of her friends have, have moved on to the next stage of, of adulthood, right? either buying houses or getting married or whatnot, and she kind of comes home with really nothing to show for her years in the big city. Um, So she's feeling like a little tail between her legs kind of low on, on on her end. So the night before the wedding, she's at a party, and she meets this enigmatic stranger who is about to go on a solo road trip through America's deep south by himself, like through New Orleans and Nashville and whatnot. And she's so intrigued by this journey, intrigued by this sort of possible adventure. And he sees this, and at the very last minute, he invites her to come along with him. So they ditch the wedding, ditch all their obligations, and the morning of the wedding itself, they speed towards New Orleans, the first city on their map. So the film really is about the road trip and the relationship as it unravels from there.
1: Okay, and and I'm noticing here in your director's notes when you're talking about personal films uh, versus mm-hmm. not private films, I could, I, I really love when a film, I'm constantly having a discussion with people when they say uh, that the film has nothing to do with them. And I think the best example is like people who love cars, love the Fast and Furious movies, but they just think that they like it because it's a good movie. And it's like, no, it's because your favorite thing is racing cars. So I, I love the way that you handled I think this is, and as you said here, Vim Vendors said it, um, Mm -hmm. this is such a way to categorize this, not categorize, but to uh, explain this film is that I could see where it was very personal, but not, um, so you could kind of, can you kind of describe how you feel that it was personal, but not private? Because that's such a great way of explaining this film.
0: I mean, I, I think a lot of us have seen films made by, you know, auteurs or just, you know, very notable filmmakers that just seem to be like a very private, almost selfish exploration of their past. And I definitely don't want to make that kind of a film ever. Um, so what I mean, what I love so much about that quote from Vim is that, you know, the film is int- intrinsically personal. It's there to make you feel like you're one of A larger sum, right? You're part of something bigger, Um, and in in this film, I mean, I just I wrote this film while I was still in film school, and once I graduated from USC, I you know was working on set as a first assistant director, but almost running out of my creative fuel because if anyone who's in the industry knows, the first AD is a very important role on set but it's a non-creative role you're there to basically plan a logistics and it can be creative you're not but you're not very rewarded with that kind of recognition no one watches a film and says oh that was really well well scheduled (laughs) they made this (laughs) right so for me i mean the film is about a young sylvia who's the, the young woman i was speaking to earlier and she's an aspiring artist. She's trying to create something of, of herself while in New York, working at galleries, but never being the, the gallery show, per se. She's next to the thing that she wants to do. So for me at that time in my life, in my early to mid-20s, I felt that conundrum of having so much energy and passion for this medium that I loved, but having the least amount of resources, least amount of. Um, tangible connections and um, professional relationships with people to, to move this script forward. And I wanted to really capture that sort of chapter in our lives. And we have that. We have the energy. We have the sort of, you know, the the fuel cells to keep burning the midnight oil, but we, we don't have the tangible funds or connections to make these creative goals come true. Um, and I think anyone that's endeavored on something creative a personal project can really relate to the fears and the kind of self-doubt that, uh, is in the film. And, in and also in both characters, he's very much a sort of a quote unquote failed musician as well, a failed artist. So he's trying to come to terms with that within the context of the film as well.
1: Right. And how you had mentioned the road trip, um, for those of you that didn't hear the review, um, uh, and since you mentioned road trip, this obviously isn't spoiling anything. Did, was, did you mean that to kind of be symbolic of the way we're all kind of on a road and we're all kind of traveling our well, own path? sure,
0: yeah. I mean, the Amer- the road trip was really a, a genre solidified by American films, I think. right. We're talking about the, the films of the 60s, 70s, the Easy Riders, the Five Easy Pieces, the two-lane blacktops. And I think there is quite a kind of the similarity between the sort of disillusionment of the youth in that time and the youth in our time now. Just look at our political sort of situation, right? Um, right? There's a kind of aimlessness and there's a kind of frustration, but we don't know what to be frustrated at because it seems like we're frustrated at everything. Everything has sort of, you know, gone to pieces. And what I love about the road trip is that it's a kind of a slow boat to China kind of feeling, right? Where you have a time and a space to have ownership of who you spend your time with and what you're doing and also just carve out a time where you can think about yourself and reflect and be introspective and to so almost, you know, force, your, force these like moments of boredom to where you can think about your life in a kind of objective kind of way. And that's why I I love road trips. I like taking road trips by myself. That's really inspirational or traveling with other people. Um, So it's the road and traveling and taking the slower routes, the more scenic routes um, has always been something that I really loved. And I don't know. I think I loved it so much that I wanted to make it part of this, this first, uh, first film. Oh, wow. This is your first
1: feature. That's,
0: this
1: is, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow, because and and for and being a first AD, I commend you for that because I don't know how first ADs do what they do. Um, so with this, <laughs> what you what what you're mentioning about the road trip and when you mentioned Easy Rider and Five Easy Pieces, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: those are two. Of, I for some reason I don't own Five Easy Pieces, but I own Last Picture Show and Easy Rider mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. I love the PBS. Uh My favorite producer is Bert Schneider. So um, mm-hmm, I won't yeah. go off on that direction. Cause we were talking about, you know, how film buffs can just, you know, forget why they were here. Um, but easy, you know, to mention Easy Rider, um, the late Laszlo Kovacs, of course, such a great cinematographer. Of course.
0: Oh, of course. He's,
1: yeah. And so I really liked that what you just explained mm-hmm. was, exactly what I was feeling because uh, for those of you that missed the review I had mentioned uh, that I've driven from LA to Detroit and down to Austin and it was actually the week of Hurricane Katrina I was on my way to New Orleans oh my Orleans. gosh
0: yeah, oh my I, I,
1: so it was like I, we, we stayed an extra day in Chicago and then anyways it was just we would have been there had we went two days earlier so it was this watching this road trip it, it, it was just There was such a great way that you captured that way where sometimes it's 50 miles staring out the window and then it's talking about something obscure, not boring. There's not a boring moment in this movie. There's not a pointless moment. But you find yourself kind of just discussing these things that you really would never discuss if you weren't in a car in the middle of Texas and you that's captured why, that.
0: This is a very, sorry, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, go I, ahead, go ahead, ahead. Oh, no, go But ahead. that's go what ahead. I, people, this is, a, this is a quiet film, but surprisingly so, and interestingly so, it's a very divisive film. People like this film, love this film, or they hate it. I mean, people, it, it really, it's a mirror, I think. It, it re- reflects the kind of person the audience member is. Because either you get in the car or you don't. Right. And I think for a quiet film like this, people that wouldn't necessarily get in the car um, don't really know what to do with a film like this. They feel almost threatened by a film that what they call has a quote unquote unlikable female character. So, you know, it's very it's very challenging for some, but it's very natural for people like you that who have had that experience to have seeked you know, who had seeks these sort of, you know, road trip experiences for yourself at some point in your life.
1: Right. And it's, um, well, yeah, it was, I I, see you had, there was such a great setup that you had mentioned. Mine was just uh, a mentor of mine that was twice my age said, literally, you will not have time later in your life. So go, and I was 25, and I didn't understand what he Absolutely. meant until about 10 years. You know, 10 years later, I went. He's right. I probably won't have time to do this um, unless I'm an old man in a camper, like about Schmidt, or um, and that. Uh, um, so that really popped out at me, um, and I like the way. What what I really like that this film does is that. And again, I really want to urge people to check this film out. Um, there's a website www.tiannws.com. That's mm-hmm. T is in That's Tom. Right. Yeah, i n w s dot com. Uh, this is a film that really uh, you it like it like it says here in the director's notes exploring inner and outer worlds. Um, This is a film that was just, I felt like it was like a jazz musician hitting the right (laughs) notes. And I felt like this should be going on right here. Um, And I I urge you guys to check out IMDB and look at the, you know, there's a, there's a wonderful cast and we can get into that in a little bit with uh, Lee. But uh, this film was something where, you know, you kind of, when those, when independent films come along and they just kind of astound you to where, you know, I always know Jonah's going to have something good for us. And I always know that the Fatals have such great work. I think I've had 10 of them on the show and like every film just made me be like, wow. Um, can I be an honorary Fatal Like <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and do what you got. You know, for those of you that have not heard of this, please go on Facebook, like the film Fatals page. They are these groups of women that get together: New York, LA, Austin, Atlanta,
0: all over uh, the even, world. Yeah, you know, all over yeah. the world.
1: And they do this crazy thing where they just get together and support each other. <laughs> and On the, we say filmmaker here, we don't say woman or man, but what's interesting about it is, is when I think of the people that normally you get to create with, it's someone you've known 15 years or 10 years, or you can always count on your film school buddies. This is just a great thing where uh, you see a, a fellow member having a screening and 20 people go to their screening, even if they've seen the movie or, or, heard about the script or were on set and that kind of camaraderie uh, really attracted me to it and so when Jonah said that you were a member of that I just thought oh I know this film's going to be good so I kind of had my uh okay you know don't expect too much but mm-hmm. when you went past that it wasn't a surprise when I heard theatrical so uh while we're on theatrical could you just Uh, you know, tell us about the cities you played in or cities you're playing in or what way?
0: Yeah, so, you know, a lot of independent filmmakers, when they get to distribution, you know, it's a very taxing job, let me tell you, being an indie filmmaker. These films take years out of our lives. This one took seven years out of my life, and I don't know if I can you know, do another film unless it's like my version of Fitzgerald or something. It will take so much, you know, so much out of me. But, you know, at the end of the, the whole journey, it was really important for me to put this film up into a theatrical space where I felt the film should be experienced. This is a very atmospheric film. We had our sound done at Skywalker Ranch, which was probably the best experience I've, I had in in post-production Um, And I wanted to share the film with its supporters and its audience that we built from day one in the best setting possible, which was, of course, in a movie theater. So we I just got back into town after a month on the road. We started off with screenings in Houston and then went back to New Orleans and screened there where I you know we shot the film there three years ago. And this was my first time back and seeing our old crew and local cast. So that was really special. So after New Orleans, we went to Austin first greetings and then to New York, New York City. And then we had our last one here in Los Angeles on Sunday. Now, on top of that, while I was in Houston, um, a wonderful film to tell as well, Valerie Weiss, she has a great film out called A Light Beneath Their Feet. Um... I saw that her film was being handled through a theatrical uh, theatrical distributor, and I just emailed her about her experience, and we ended up connecting um, me and this company called Emerging Pictures, and they loved the film as well, and they decided to take it out for an additional 15 cities. So... I, you know, and and now our film is available on all all, all on-demand platforms, iTunes, Google, Vudu, um, Xbox, and PlayStation, all this, YouTube. So for a small film, I mean, this is a small film that did not play at a big North American festival or even a world festival. Our biggest festival that we played and won a jury award at was probably Las Vegas. Las Vegas Film Festival, which is great, it's a great um, festival that kind of picked up from the remnants of CinéVegas. So, I think for a small film like this, it's I I I think this is a sizable victory for the film to be seen by so many people across the country, in and out of the theater setting. And I really want, if there are any filmmakers listening, like I just want to tell you, like don't don't give up hope and don't get tired don't get tired when it comes to this part of the film because the film isn't really, doesn't really exist unless it's distributed, unless people see it. So if, um, if there are any filmmakers out there, you know, just want to pass that, pass that piece of advice. If I can be so bold. Well, plus it's,
1: um, you know, I, I've, I always believe that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's an accomplishment to finish a film. Um, let alone right. a feature, and I can speak from personal experience. It's it's even hard to make a really bad movie. So, yeah. um, it's, a bad uh, film that
0: no one sees. Yeah, of course. Yes, exactly. It's a lot of personal. Right. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you. So the uh, I found one of my horror films that I produced one time in the dollar ninety nine get rid of box at Blockbuster. And <laughs> And I thought five years of work and I ended up in the bottom of the dollar 99 waste bin and blockbuster. And my friend said to me, well, at least you're not, you could be thankful you're a guy who has something in the waste bin in a video store. So. Yeah. Uh, I think so that's, that was
0: the, a, that's the right reaction. Yeah. At least the film was out there. Right.
1: So that you put it perfectly as an independent filmmaker, um, with Las Vegas, by the way, what what time of year is that? So,
0: uh, Las Vegas, it's in the. Uh, I want to say they moved up their dates. They're in the spring summer. We when we okay. were there, I think we were there in June. Um, hold on, let me just search this for Kaelvia. And also, um, um,
1: oh, sorry, guys. I was going so yeah, okay. to say, guys,
0: one that. so they. They are playing, let's see, in yeah, June 7th to 12th. That was their edition this year. Yeah. Oh,
1: okay. Cause, and then also to win, as I mentioned in my review, please, uh, not just because I like to hear myself talk, please go into the archives and check out the review of this film. Um, but the, it also won a special jury award at the... Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival which mm-hmm. it, to me was a I flipped out when I covered it because it was at the Director's Guild I was trying so hard not to just be like oh my gosh like Billy Wilder walks through this door and, and John <laughs> Houston and, 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 and Scorsese has probably been here and um, it's a real kind of film geek thing that it, it uh It must have just been such an honor to have your film playing in that building.
0: Yeah. I mean, our award ceremony was there and, you know, one of my really (laughs) prized digital possessions is a picture of me standing at the podium with a DGA symbol on it, accepting an award. I mean, that was pretty, pretty amazing and honest. And we premiered at that festival. It's a wonderful festival. We just, we just did a L.A. screening with the organizers of that festival um, called Visual Communications um, here on Sunday. We went back with them to do another L.A. talkback screening. But it was important for me also, if I can touch on the context of why I decided to premiere there. Like, A, I wanted to premiere in my hometown in Los Angeles and, of course, you know, have a good showing and have people come out. And so the cast can be a part of it and everything. Um, but also, I wanted... To almost make a statement that you know this, this right now, diversity is a very hot button issue. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone finally has had their "I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it any more" moments with diversity network. And representation. Sorry. <laughs> exactly, a <yeah>, network <laughs> reference. <laughs> but you know, my film is not an—it's not an obvious film when it comes to diversity. Yes, I'm a female filmmaker. Yes, I was born in China. And I can tell you when we screened this film in Houston to a lot of my family friends and a lot of my connections in the Chinese community, they felt, they felt the Chinese elements and the aesthetic of the film. But for people that are looking at the film very on the surface, there's been a lot of criticism from both sides of the aisle saying that, oh, I'm not diverse enough. I didn't make an Asian film because, you know, there's something wrong with that. And you know, frankly, I am so sick of this conversation. <laughs> I've gotten to a point now where I'm I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Like I don't I don't feel like filmmakers need to be punished for going quote unquote off the reservation,
1: you know. Like wow. you
0: said earlier, film filmmakers are filmmakers, um, regardless of you're a man or a woman, or, or whatever your orientation is, or if you're non-binary or whatnot. The work is what is important. And of course we can talk about influences and where we're from and how it informs the art that we make. But it's it should never be something that is assigned to us just because we look a certain way and check a certain number of boxes. Um and I love you know, it. I a, love it. It's, it's a it's a really it's a really touchy thing to talk about. I mean the recently this week with the whole upheaval with the Matt Damon Great Wall film, you know, these it's 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 Hollywood and it's China's fault for making a fantasy film where somehow Matt Damon existed in the, in the time that they built the Great Wall. Like I don't need a revisionist history <laughs> to tell me, you know, to 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 basically reason and reason towards the the existence of a film for purely commercial value. Right. Right. So I, I feel like, you know, I feel if, if an intention is pure, then that's wonderful and that's great. But, you know, unpure intentions and moments like that cause me to hoot and holler like everybody else. So
1: well I, I love the I love the way you put that um because uh i I learned that great lesson from a wonderful um filmmaker um my friend anna and she i asked her to be in this women in film series I was writing, and I also mm-hmm. had a series that was called filmmaker Fridays, and she said, "Can I just be in the filmmaker Fridays Cause I'm just a filmmaker and It was, like, three years ago, and it made me very conscious of. Mm -hmm. And now that there's been this great, um, the only reason why I wish I was, like, as known as uh, Pauline Kale or Roger Ebert is because I was thinking Mm -hmm. the other day, like, that theme, it just feels like there's this female new wave. And to those of you out there, I'm just referencing the French new wave because saying the woman's wave sounds like a surfing contest. But I feel like there's just this great surgeon. and what's so great about the films is is you could put ten people in the room and not say who directed it or you know I felt like what the way you just described that uh, you know diversity, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. I myself, I cannot stand labels. that is one of the the pillars of this show was that we were so tired of you can only get an interview if you're Al Pacino or you can only be on a talk show if you're this. And we just thought, you know, what? let's, you know, let's have a student filmmaker on and the next day on have an AFI grad and the next day have someone who's made five features. And, and so I uh, really liked, because what you just explained made me think of Ang Lee's films to where there's just this great human sensibility to where, Everything that we associate when we hear any form, Chinese, Japanese, whatever, uh, Brokeback Mountain was the first film that did it for me where I was like, this isn't somebody from Montana. This isn't somebody who knows the cowboy life. And it just really, that was one of those films. I love films when you walk in and you come out and you kind of don't remember who you were before that. And Mm -hmm. that was, that was one of my, uh, one of my five films that uh, changed me. And I really felt like you were touching on that perfectly to where I didn't feel like, uh, you know, you had, I mentioned it in the review. Um, You know, there were just scenes that you handled so perfectly. And uh, again, I, I, as I said in the review, men and women are the same, but I think there's certain things that women can be more sensitive and are much more smarter than us about <laughs> and don't go for the cheap shot or the cheap joke or the cheap um, visual. And that's what mm-hmm. I really appreciated. So, did you, so I guess that could lead us into some of the cinematography. You mentioned filming in different states. Did you have to? Yeah. Change grips or change any form of crew, like, was, or was it just the same people traveled with you the whole way?
0: Well, I mean, this is movie magic. Uh, we shot all of the scenes with Agnes and Maurice, or two leads, uh, were in New Orleans, and all of the traveling shots that you see of Nashville and all the dusty towns in between here and nowhere are basically a B-roll unit that I did with just the DP. Um, so it was very much stitched together. <laughs> You're gasping. It was very much stitched together through quite a bit of movie magic and special sauce all throughout. Same thing with Austin. All the scenes with Ashley playing Samantha who is incredible and lovely. Um, John Robinson playing Ethan. All of those scenes that take place in Austin to sort of um start off the film were actually shot in Los Angeles. I just went to Austin for some you know, not noticeable cutaways of Con- South Congress and, you know, downtown around there.
1: Okay, because I was really, uh, it's, as <laughs> you know, it's hard to um, look at a film when you made a film because you're thinking, well, where was the key grip and how did they move the dolly there and you know, this yeah. You know, like, we have
0: a pretty couple of really great shots that I'm really proud of, like some inventive car mount stuff that we did, and just yeah, talking about coverage, but talking about coverage in an interesting way, in a co- in a personal way, you know. And I think it it, ha- it has so much to do with the emotional truth of what what's happening in that moment, and you know, talk about Ang Lee, Ang Lee is probably my idol. I would say next to like Chantal Ackerman. Uh, and some others, them being one of them as well. But what I love about their films is that, you know, they really want to trust the actor to live in the moment and use those long takes and use those masters to really feel like, you know, give the audience the illusion that you're in the room with them. And that's a risky choice in today's day and age, you know, and not everyone can sit through a film like that. Look at our popular TV on, you know, the network side, we're constantly being told how to feel and think at every given moment, either through music or quick cutting. Um, So, you know, I think it's a challenge for a viewer to stick through a film like this, but it's also, it's also for me the best gift when a filmmaker gives me my time back in a movie. You know what I mean? Like when you see a film that reminds, that gives you the time and the space to think about your life while you're watching it even, or just to get completely lost, like you said. So, so yeah. I think Yes, that's, the master that's,
1: shot is though. So, I like that you bring that up because, especially with you mentioning 70s films, there's kind mm-hmm. of that end of an era of we don't have the studio system anymore, and obviously... John Ford, I think, died early 70s because there's that great Peter Bogdanovich documentary where he mm-hmm, interviewed him That mm-hmm. is it's impossible to yeah. find. But um, there's a great saying by John Ford, uh, the master shot separates the men from the boys. And and I think, <laughs> and again, no pun intended saying this to a foot tall, but I mean, you know what I mean.
0: <laughs> no, I guess um, it is. That's, no, yeah, so that's again, in this it takes guts. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, so, it takes so you guts really to
0: stay. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, because cutting today is so I see certain things and I go, you know, how did this editor's like not lose his eyeballs with how many cuts? And I get it in an action film. I get it when it serves. If they got to make you believe that Denzel's really beating up three guys, I I understand that. But I really appreciated. Uh, it, I, I love that you're saying you like Ang Lee because I was watching it thinking uh, I know this filmmaker likes Ang Lee because there's this human side of both characters. And I think, and he's so controversial to mention, but I've always loved how Woody Allen, regardless of his personal life, etc., cetera, um, mm-hmm, he has mm-hmm. written some, some wonderful female characters. And to yeah, have that of insight and to both. So it wasn't like I knew because Jonah told me this is a female director. And I thought she has such insight to the male. Now, of course the audience wouldn't know that. And sh- there's not a separation, but there, there in most films to me, some part feels flat. And, and as I said, in my review, uh, I, I liked that you were you, there was that perfect balance. That's why, I, that's, this is one of the biggest reasons I recommend the film. There's a perfect balance of spending time with each character. The director's point of view is there, but it does not infringe. It's not trying to say, you know, side with A or B. And that is a mm-hmm. really hard thing to do, I think. Directors like Alexander Payne, you know, I felt like he really found his voice after Sideways. I think, you know, Nebraska was one of those films people loved or hated. Um, My father's from the Midwest. I love
0: Nebraska. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, yeah, me too.
1: Yeah, I love Nebraska. Obviously a road movie, but then since my father's from the Midwest, that's totally how him and his brothers act. So it's mm-hmm. that oh, you don't see each other for 20 years, and you just say, oh, hey, how's it going? And it's like, you know, if I didn't see my brother for 20 years, I'd say more than, hey, how's it going? So um, I I totally loved that. And it seemed like that we've talked Ang Lee, Easy Rider, Nebraska, that we have a very similar sensibility. So it was kind of like I was I was wanting to, you know, almost watch it a second time, but then Because I had to do a review of it, I didn't want to trip over my initial thoughts because I love that initial Mm -hmm. feeling. Um, I mean, Five Easy Pieces. Um, You know, I can't watch anymore because when I was in Vancouver one time, (laughs) well, well, no, no. Um, When I was in Vancouver one time, my father had uh, got hospitalized, and so when the character in Five Easy Pieces runs off to Vancouver because his dad's sick. I just thought this is too real. So it's like, I love the movie, but it's like, so I I love the realism that you're able to get to. And I guess this is a question that I I guess I've never really asked is that um, aside from just the standard asking a writer how many drafts, is it just conscious or subconscious to just nail so many nuances right on the head? I mean, it's not like you hit 80 out of 90, like, what, I mean, just how is that as a writer? There's so few writers that...
0: uh, Well, I write, yeah, I I get what you're trying to get at, it's a very, it's, it's in the script, like, I write if there's a breath, if there's a look. You know, some, some actors don't like that, so I give them maybe a different version of the script or sides, and then I can work and tweak the scene on the day. But for me, like, with, I have a background in music and dance. For me, everything is about tempo, right? And how you beat everything out and how you sort of shape the, the melody and the kind of pacing of the film through these very kind of dawn dialog moments. And a lot of it, I'm telling you, is also mined from editing. We we did a lot of mining for looks and mining for brief moments of pause and and all of that stuff in the editorial process too. And we did a, we cataloged and binned a lot of those moments to help create um, to create some of those subtleties. And you know, and they're definitely very. I, I have a very delicate gag reflex when it comes to artifice when i feel like a situation or a scene is definitely forcing a kind of emotion or idea down an audience's throat and sometimes for people like you it works and for others they're just like oh i don't know what this is because it's so subtle that i don't even know how i feel about it so it must not be there (laughs) but it's kind of the it's the only way i can operate unfortunately but i think that's fine <laughs> um but you know talking about Ang Lee and and to to Bob Rafelson I I met Bob Rafelson once um in wow. New York Yeah, he he had a retrospective um at the Avignon New York Film Festival which is now not doesn't exist anymore up in Hunter College and they showed all of his films. I mean, I got to see a print of Mountains of the Moon and Postman Always Rings Twice. It was very it was a very unique special once in a lifetime moment and you know talking to him about that whole era of filmmaking and seeing my most prized memory of that festival is watching him watch his own movies you could tell that he hadn't watched Mountains of the Moon for years and he was only going to stay to watch the first couple of minutes and he sat there and he, and he watched the entire film and that look that look on his face of like such memory and remembrance, like of a, almost like a lot, like a, a child coming back. Right. And, and seeing this film, that was really, really special. Um, and Ang Lee, I mean, Ang Lee, his first film, his first introduction to the West was Sense and Sensibility, a very print and proper Jane Austen adaptation after making uh, award-winning films out of Taiwan. So like that's that's someone who was thrust into the complete other side of the spectrum and came out with an amazing film with with Chinese sensibility and I think that's what made the film very successful that we protected the performers and protected the actors in a way. So, right. Yeah. It's, well, Bob, it's you Bob
1: know I'm, I'm sorry, Bob mm-hmm. raffleson, I mean, first of all, I'm just in such awe that you got to meet him. Um, yeah. For for anyone listening, you know, um, he was behind the company that produced Easy Rider, Last Picture Show, but um, Five Easy Pieces, King of Marvin Gardens. I'm not the biggest mm-hmm. fan of that, but it's a great Brewster performance. Um, I love Stern in that
0: film.
1: Oh yeah. yeah, he's so great in that movie. It's Jack Nicholson, of course, who exploded after Easy Rider, and then you have. Uh, Oh gosh. Uh, and the Post on All These Rings Twice, which is a uh, mm-hmm. remake of a great John Garfield movie. Uh, mm-hmm. John Garfield, of course, sadly passed away during the Hollywood 10. Um, had a heart attack the night before he was supposed to testify. Uh, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, thank you so much for mentioning Bob Raffleson because literally every episode I want to bring up a 70s film. So I love when filmmakers do. And then what you're saying about Ang Lee for all, for all of you that know him, it was so great because crouching tiger hidden dragon just made everyone. And when I was in film school, they acted like that was his first film and Mm -hmm. that he invented this, uh, you know, the Kung Fu scenes, And it was just like, no, these are these old movies with a budget. And um, Mm -hmm. and then to find sense and sensibility, and then uh, the ice storm—is that what it's called? With ice storm, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ice storm. Oh, so brutally emotional. The journey weaver.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm Yes. I mean,
1: that one just like punches you in the jaw at the end. Um, And then of course, Ang Lee. I mean, Life of Pi. um, Yeah. I mean, that was just so beautiful. so, yeah, that's what I was – I'm really glad that you brought up, Ang Lee, as I said, because uh, – and this is, again, like, a you know, for for anyone who comes in late, we have some live listeners. And for anyone who uh, jumps around, um, you know, th- this is the kind of human sensibility, uh, as Lee was saying, it's not a, because she's from here or she's not from there. It's being able to just look at the situation. And that's what Ang Lee, I think, he is the total Jedi master. I think <laughs> the, the, the films he makes, I don't think any other director could do. And and it's no, not like absolutely. how you say Yeah, unique.
0: I mean, it, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and it goes past like that. Oh, Scorsese is always going to make the best gangster film. It's like Life of Pi couldn't have been Spielberg. It couldn't have been Steven Soderbergh. It couldn't have been. Anyone but Ang Lee to make you go with a guy and a tiger on a boat, mm-hmm. and all the life lessons that are in there. Um, and so, yeah, thank you, thank you for bringing up the '70s films. For everyone that listens to our show, if you have not explored '70s films, look up—although it's late '60s—look up *The Graduate* and. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Midnight Cowboy. Uh, There's just so many great ones. People like to just jump to Taxi Driver, which that's a great, significant film, or Jaws. But if you really dig deep, you see some of those other things. Um, I'm so sorry to have went off on that little tangent. Um,
0: It really sounds
1: like we could go for coffee and talk for hours,
0: actually. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, uh, I'm definitely, I'm definitely a filmmaker born from the audience. You know, I love films. I study film relentlessly, and you know, and also speaking to Ang Lee and Vin Venders too. Vin Venders made so many films about Americana, Paris, Texas, of course, being his sort of, you know, love love letter to to this country. I think when foreigners, you know, I consider myself American, of course, but I'll but I can't, you know, I'm also not from this country, and I go back. To China and and I've I've moved at least you know at least once every I want to say five years of my childhood so I've grown up all around this country kind of aimlessly as well and I think you know the reason why foreigners want have this interesting viewpoint to American culture and make films in America is because we are able to take a step back and almost see something from like a wider a wider lens or a different lens and give the time and the space to whatever they're observing to to just be that, because that, we feel, is dramatic enough. Um, There's no sort of need to spice it up with, you know, artificial stuff. Um, Because, yeah, I think it's... Whenever I see a film made by a foreigner about America, there's something intrinsically connected to that feeling that I find myself relating to. So, you know, it's all subconscious. It's all very under-the-surface kind of stuff, but it's definitely coming from from a voice that I can say is my own.
1: Yes, I, I, you know, it's hard for me because I I don't, I'm not, uh, I guess it's like you were saying, uh, especially in the time we're in now, it's so hard for me to say, the word foreigner, because I'm like, if I go to Paris, I'm a foreigner. So it's like, there's that obviously, like you said, hot button issue and it's just so out of control right now with, um, but this is a classic example for anyone who's out there that likes to label that a under labeling a man and a woman, a woman who. Is Chinese and a guy who is half Mexican, half white. Both like Ang Lee, so it's I'm being very sarcastic <laughs> here. And they both like Easy Rider, and how can that possibly happen? So that I just wanted and relate to say that. To it. Yeah,
0: to, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I wanted to
1: say that to be subversive and show you how kind of and uh, again, all these opinions on this show are of of mine, and what the guest says is their opinion, but that kind of shows you what a what a crazy, dumb direction we're headed in because um, I, I caught on just because, uh, of course, as you know, we're blessed as filmmakers or film lovers that we get to explore so many films that I was able to really pick up. Um, I even felt some suspense like a Hitchcock film, and I know we can't go more into the story, but I even felt kind of like I'm getting that like, not like you there's move in danger. your chair, yeah,'re yeah, you... danger mhm yeah, and you're and you know the way Hitchcock films make you want to fast forward, but you're like, I'm not bored, but I'm moving in my chair, and it's like, you know, what's this director doing and and, and I, I I believe I said in my review when you talked about manipulating audiences was that that if I, if I had to pick something I liked the most was that you didn't do that. I think documentaries have become one of the most manipulated art forms unless it's like a really masterfully done documentary. I, like I call Michael Moore that he was a documentarian until Fahrenheit 9-11, then he became an entertainer mm-hmm. that makes documentaries. Um, and that's what I, uh, I guess that would be a good question. Aside from you disliking it has an audience, Uh, how has a director, can you sit down, and you, and it almost says, like, you know, uh, I guess it would be like a metaphor of, you know, that there's usually a close-up, but I want to use a two-shot, so it's like, you know, it might be a moment where, you know, a hundred percent of filmmakers would manipulate, but you have to you get a gut feeling like this might be manipulative, so I'm going to kind of pull the reins back. Is it or is it subconscious?
0: I mean, it's definitely it's definitely a conscious choice. And when, when when you're cutting, you're definitely making these decisions for the audience sometimes, or or not letting them look at whoever they want to look at if it's a master or two shot, right? Um, right. You know, when you cut in for the close-up Just like, you know, just like Bergman He saved that close-up until he absolutely needed it You know, he saved that close-up on, you know uh, Victor, I forget his last name um, From Wild Strawberries till the very end When you really need it And I think that's the that's your arsenal as a filmmaker When you make these films and you, you shoot your coverage You really want to use these, these moments Very sparingly, very smartly so and almost do, you know, almost kind of what like Abbas Karostami did with uh, with Taste of Sherry, like with his films. He held coverage. There's so many scenes in that film where you just see one side of the car, either the driver or the passenger, but you hear the dialogue of the scene going. And you as a viewer, you want to look at the other person, but he's not giving you that. He's not he's withholding that look until the absolute right moment to reveal who that person is almost a play upon your perception. Like the last person that the, the character in taste of cherry picks up uh, that he, the, the driver picks up, if anyone hasn't seen, he, you know, he recently passed on, but he leaves a catalog of amazing films to see taste of Cherry is about a man in Tehran who basically is driving around the city and his land Rover trying to find someone to bury his body after he commits suicide. He's already dug the hole. He just needs someone to cover himself with with dirt. So in this film, he just picks up person after person, and after the sort of initial niceties, he gets into the nitty-gritty of what he's wanting for them to do. And he picks up sort of interesting people, like a naive soldier, uh, a a clergyman who's studying at at a seminary, and then finally an old man. And the way he covers those scenes in the film is so interesting because he decides to show people right off the bat, but then he also decides to withhold those shots on the the potential passenger until you've heard enough of the conversation. And then when you look at him, you're like, oh, he looks like that. So it's playing upon your, your sort of perceived notions of what that other party might look like on the other side of the camera. And I love stuff like that. That's the stuff that I, really, that I really live for because it plays on human sort of expectations and in a cinematic way that is not obvious and smart and it's engaging. Um, and I'm constantly trying to find new ways to do that, especially through editorial um, and, and finding those moments to really almost like make sure the audience is also paying attention uh, to a certain extent.
1: <laughs> Yes, not texting or checking their email. Uh, can you can you tell us that director's name again?
0: Abbas Karostami. Karostami. Okay. I hope I'm saying that right. I've seen so many of his films, but it's been like a private private love affair He did Close Up, uh, The White Balloon. He did the film with Ju- he did a lot of films with Julia Binoche, um, certified copy, and then he did a film in Japan called It Felt Like Love. Uh, I think that's what it's called, but he was an amazing Iranian filmmaker, never left Iran, always worked within the system there. And he makes just these incredible human films. Um, And that film in particular has such a special place in my heart because it's such a, it's such a minimalist film. You know, he's a very, in that film, he just stripped away all sort of, you know, all the, all the color in the frame too. Like the, the, the way that he decided the color of the film was basically just in the browns and sort of dusty colors of the, the desert in Tehran near Tehran. So, so yeah. Well, that that's a, yeah.
1: thank you for sharing that. Cause that's a, you know, world cinema is, it's so tough with, you can read about it in books, but then you can't find anything. And I think the best example that everyone can relate to that doesn't dig dig deeper is of course the library always has eight and a half and Lestrada by Fellini and it always has the 400 mm-hmm. blows by Truffaut and of course Kurosawa there has to be Rashomon and Ron and Yojimbo and Sanjuro one of my personal favorite Kurosawa films has nothing to do with Samurai's is Ikiru um mm-hmm, yeah and
0: it's just
1: beautiful human peace where I always say it's kind of like I think there's a definite influence on Alexander Payne's about Schmidt or De Sica's Mm -hmm. Roberto D. That's just about Mm -hmm. what happens when you're an old man. And these are just, that's what I always love to tell people. I go, uh, a man who grew up in the 50s or 40s and 50s and lived to the 90s in Japan. And then, a director that was from Sicily and made some great films and made one American film with David Selznick, De uh, Jessica. And then you have Alexander Payne from Omaha, Nebraska, well from Greece, but then grows up in Omaha, Nebraska. And these guys mm-hmm. are all yeah. three just telling the same story. And, it, and what could be more different from Omaha, Nebraska and Sicily or, you know, j- uh, Japan and, Omaha, Nebraska. We've all driven through the mid- Midwest, and it's not like a
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know a hub of everything happening. So I love making those connections. And um, we've come to the time of the show where mm-hmm. uh, we have four minutes left, and I like to give the director uh, just two minutes of an open floor to plug your Facebook page <laughs> or uh, whatever you want to do. It's sure your two minutes.
0: So we have the film screening at a couple of cities coming up left. We have St. Johnsbury, Vermont, Las Cruces, Farmington, and Roswell, New Mexico, Durango, Colorado, uh, ORE, Colorado, Wilmington, Delaware. And for everywhere else in the United States and Canada, we're on iTunes, we're on Google Play, uh, Sony uh, Sony PlayStation, Xbox, Vudu, and also YouTube. And also, we're on a couple of on-demand um, platforms: Time Warner, Charter, Cox, and all those. So, either which way, iTunes. If you if you're a filmmaker, you know this. iTunes does favorably give us, you know, a little bit more than the rest of the channel. So, if you can purchase through iTunes, we deeply appreciate that because we need money to continue to make to make more films. Um, but I really hope you guys enjoy the film, and I really hope that viewers can see a part of themselves in it for better or for worse. Sometimes films can remind us of moments that probably weren't the most, you know, shining points in our life, moments that we're not proud of, but and that's a huge message in the film too is that we're not perfect and sometimes the best thing we can do is just learn from our mistakes. So, I hope you guys enjoy the film and please reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, our Twitter handle is T I A N W S film. Same thing for Instagram, and write us a note. You know, tell us that you know you heard uh, us talk on this wonderful show, and and yeah, get in touch. We'd love to hear what you think of the film personally.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you for that. And we we always extend guests um, the invite to whether they come back with their next film. We've had a few guests do that, or whether. Uh, when we had, when the Oscars happened this year, we spent the whole Monday through Friday after having returned guests come on and say what they thought of what won this or won that. And we've also do a series where um, like for the Oscars, I reviewed all the best picture nominees and then I brought on guests mm-hmm. to re-review. And it was kind of funny because the guests got more listens than mine. So I just thought like, I don't know if that's a compliment that the series was good or if that was like, Oh, yeah. we want your guests to host your show or our show. Yeah, so um, I think
0: it's because th- of a conversation. I think people always clue in when there's a conversation happening and people can bounce off of each other and have a discussion.
1: Right. Exactly. And so yeah. we want to extend that to you. And um, of course you it. I'd love to. Yeah. So, um, Again, we appreciate your time and um I'm going to head into the last minute here and do my usual sign off, but again, thank you. We'll we'll get you this show very soon and uh we uh you know, have a show. Hopefully, we get to meet you one of these days.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Paul. Thanks for having us on.
1: Thank you. You have a great day. You too. Aloha. Aloha. And that was a I'm so pumped up right now. I feel like throwing Easy Rider in the DVD player. That was a wonderful interview. I get so, I get such an adrenaline after we do these interviews because it's why we're here because we want to talk to filmmakers and we want to talk film and all of us film lovers know you can talk for four hours and it's not enough. So as we go into the last 30 seconds, I'm going to say, as always, we appreciate the listeners and our guests. And whether you're listening in the morning, afternoon, or evening, make sure and watch a good movie today. Aloha.